Good morning. morning. How's everybody doing? Great. (laughs) Yay. All right. Hey, it's exciting to be in here, huh? It's cool. Uh, Welcome to our new worship space. I was talking to uh, another pastor this past week, and he was pointing out to me how in all of uh, Paul's letters in the New Testament, he starts with praise for the congregation, except for the church at Corinth, which is a little different. And this is our last week in Proverbs, and next week we're moving to one of the most encouraging epistles in the New Testament, the book of Philippians. And so I just wanted to take some time this morning to say, you guys, this is great. You guys have done great. Um, You guys are generous, you're sweet, you invite your friends, um, you're humble and repentant, and I'm just really happy to be your pastor. And Really grateful for all of the generosity of you guys, Danny and Seth and everybody, Bart, who come early and help set up and make things happen. So thank you guys. It's really sweet. We've got sound. Y'all can hear me. We've got chairs. It's all we need, right? Today we're wrapping up our series on Proverbs. And uh, there are a couple of reasons we decided to study Proverbs in the first place. One is Danny really wanted to do it. So everybody say thanks, Danny. Thanks, Danny. Um, but it also flowed out of our study in the Sermon on the Mount um, and the conversations we had about persecution and where it comes from and why and what it means for us as a people to be truly free, free to be persecuted. Uh, something that concerns us all. And the biblical answer to that question begins with freedom from the condemnation of sin, freedom from the power of sin in our lives. We're not slaves to sin, we're slaves of righteousness. We're free from sin, free from the devil, free from this world, free from our lusts and from the love of money and from the fear of death, which means we can't be controlled. Free to serve God and answer to him alone. And Proverbs deals a lot with that, self-control, freedom from our lusts and being controlled by them. So today we finish up our series on Proverbs of chapter nine. Now, who can tell me why we're stopping at chapter nine? Anybody? Yes, tell me. Ah, it's like all the people were right there. You go ahead. I forget which one you are. What's what's your name? (laughs) Okay, that's the end of when Solomon's done speaking to the young man. He's addressing the young man, right, his prince, and he's encouraging him to study wisdom and to learn wisdom. And when we hit chapter 10, that's when we hit what we normally think of as Proverbs, the little one-line sayings, right, the little aphorisms that may not be connected one to another. But in the first nine chapters, there are 10 exhortations or little sermons to love wisdom and turn away from evil and beware of the things that will pull you off the path of wisdom. And then there are these like beautiful poetic praises of wisdom. And then Lady Wisdom shows up herself and she like, as Nathan taught us last week, she does this rap thing where she's like, I'm awesome, I'm great, you should love me. If you don't love me, you love death and you're stupid right? And so that's what she does. And so all the first nine chapters of Proverbs are, hey, get wisdom, get wisdom, love wisdom, come study wisdom. Basically, it's a primer to say, hey, study 10 through 31. And so 10 through 31 are hard actually to preach. We're not going to preach them because like we could do them a verse at a time and it would take us for the rest of the life of this church until I died. Or we can say, hey, Proverbs 1 to 9, Love wisdom. Beware of the things that will pull you off the path of wisdom. Now go, continue reading and studying this book. 
especially if you're a young person, because it is for you. It's designed for you. It's written to you as a young man who's coming of age, as a prince, and as a young woman too. But it applies to all of us. So that's where we are. We're wrapping it up today. Next week, Philippians, the epistle of joy as it's known. We'll be, I'm really excited about uh, getting into that. So I am, though, hoping that all of us will be committed to moving forward, studying Proverbs ourselves and with our families. Peter and I, Peter's my oldest, 13 right in the back. Say hi, Peter. What do we do every day on the way to school? We listen to a chapter of Proverbs every day on the way to school. It's short, it's quick, it's easy. Pick a couple of things to talk about. It's been pretty fun, right? It's actually pretty fun. It's pretty encouraging. It's low bar. It can be a low bar. All right, so let's read it. Proverbs chapter 9. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call the high, from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself." If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to gather here this morning. We thank you for the YMCA and the staff that has been uh, so willing to partner with us and to open the doors to us. Pray that you would bless them. We do, uh, as Ben reminded us earlier, lift up our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering uh, for the sake of your name. And pray that you would be near to them and that you would give them faith and courage and zeal. And we pray that you would protect them and help us to know how to help them. Thank you for the churches in our fellowship of churches that encourage me, encourage us as a church plant, and support us. Pray that you would be with all of our sister churches around the state and in neighboring states, that you would bless them and that you would fill them with your spirit this morning, that you'd be with the shepherds as they preach your word. Pray for the churches in this city and community, that your name would be high and lifted up and exalted, that your word would be preached faithfully. We pray this morning that you would soften all of our hearts and that you would bring us to a true knowledge of you and of ourselves and of the world so that we can walk in wisdom by faith. Help us, we pray, help me make the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Now, in a sense, as we've studied Proverbs chapter nine, or Proverbs so far, we've been sort of walking a road that's basically led to a gate or to a fork. And we've come right up to the gate. 
And beyond the gate are all the treasures and riches that have been promised. Like, how many times have we talked about Proverbs so far as just like, get wisdom, get wisdom. It's great. The riches, the treasures, it's so awesome. And then it's not really said much beyond beware of this and beware of that, but get wisdom. Okay, we're at the gate and everything that's before us now is the wisdom that Proverbs has to offer, the riches. We're right up to the gate. And all you have to do is walk forward through the gate and keep reading. So, wisdom has built her house. Three parts to this passage. Lady Wisdom, a middle section, and Lady Folly. I guess you guys get to be Lady Folly. Sorry. <laughs> no, we have three, three parts, and we'll take them in order. Wisdom has built her house. Wisdom has made her case. She set up her pillars. It's a strong case. It's firm. It's huge. It's a palace. She's a queen, and she's prepared a feast. She slaughtered her beasts. She's mixed her wine. She's, by mixing her, her wine, that means she's probably spiced it or honeyed it. She's made it sweeter. She's made it better. She's made it more rich and lavish. She's prepared a banquet, a feast of wisdom and knowledge, the kind of feast that will sustain us. It's the rest of this book, and it's all of Scripture itself. It's a feast of wisdom and knowledge. And as queen, she sent out her maidens, inviting everybody to come, all the simple, to come and to eat to eat bread and drink of her wine and to live. Everyone is invited. Everyone's invited. You have been invited. You've been appealed to. For this entire summer, you've been appealed to by wisdom. You've been exhorted over and over and over and over again to come and to embrace the wisdom of God. Which, as Nathan pointed out last week, in that sort of consummate chapter, chapter 8, is Jesus Christ himself to come and embrace Jesus, or to reject wisdom, reject Jesus, and embrace foolishness and death. That is what's set before us. Jesus understood this himself, and he talked in in, uh, these kinds of terms. In Matthew chapter 22, he tells a parable. And remember, in Greek, what's the Greek word for proverb? Do you remember from the very first week? It's, It's parabola. It's parable right? So when the New Testament says Jesus speaks in parables, well, that's how the Greek would also understand Proverbs. Jesus speaks in Proverbs. Proverbs is much broader biblically than, you know, we think of just that one line thing, but Jesus speaks in Proverbs and parables, and this is the parable he tells. Kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Jesus tells a similar parable in Luke chapter 14. So the question being placed before us as we come to the end of our study of Proverbs is, will we embrace wisdom? Will we embrace Jesus and with him life? Or will we embrace folly and with it death and destruction? It will be one or the other. 
There's no middle ground. There's no neutral territory. Lady Wisdom has laid it out. She's been laying it out for us week on week, line on line. Exhortation after exhortation after exhortation. She's made her case. But to accept her call requires something hard of all of us. And it's what? It's to be humble enough to admit that we are simple and we need God's wisdom. We need to admit that we don't know. But that's what's great too. How many of you guys ever feel stupid? Nobody? Everybody in this room feels stupid sometimes. Yeah? Feel, feel dumb? Feel simple? Feel foolish? Guess what? Lady Wisdom calls to you and offers you wisdom. You feel dumb? This is for you. You feel foolish? You feel like you've gone down paths that are foolish in your life? God's wisdom is for you. Wisdom herself, God's wisdom. Jesus is standing in these verses offering you the power and the ability to become wise and to increase in wisdom for the rest of your life. You, simply by turning the page and humbling your heart before God's word and embracing it, embracing God's wisdom for yourself. Now, something weird happens in this passage. Normally you would expect, okay, we've got Lady Wisdom, we've got her house, and the way that Solomon has been working, we just expect to flip to the parable. I guess you guys really are stuck being Lady Folly. Sorry about that. Um, you'd expect to jump straight to Lady Folly, right? But that's not what happens. There's this interjection here, something weird. It feels out of place, but it's not out of place. It's a warning, and it's a warning on multiple levels. This is what it is. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. He who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you're wise, you're wise for yourself, and if you scoff, you alone will bear it. Okay? There are three types of people in this world. There are the wise. Good job, guys. There's fool A, the simple, the naive, the gullible. And there's fool B, the scoffers and the mockers. I did not think I was going to accidentally parse you guys up that way. You guys can bear it, right? Okay. Um, Proverbs distinguishes between two types of fools. Okay. Wisdom calls out to fool A. Whoever is simple, let him turn in. To him who lacks sense, come and eat. But the scoffer and the mocker, no. And here's the thing. Just like the wise man, the simple, the naive, the gullible, the one lacking sense is on a path, okay? But the older that you get, the longer you follow the path of wisdom, the wiser you get. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, he'll increase in learning. The more you enjoy the fruit of wisdom, the more you want wisdom. You develop a taste for it. Folly won't do anymore. That doesn't mean it's not a fight to stay on the right path or that you can let your guard down. It's easy to get tired. It's easy to be discouraged. It's easy to quit. But no one knows that better than the wise who have stayed on the path for a long time. The same is true of the simple person. The longer you stay on the path of folly, the path of death, the more you calcify in your foolishness. You're moving a direction. 
And the direction is from simple and gullible and naive to scoffer and mocker. You're calcifying in your foolishness. Why is that? Why is that? It's pride. Pride kills. You ever taken a wrong turn and gotten lost? And had trouble admitting that you were getting lost? Taking a long time to admit that you were wrong? Taking a bad risk? Doubled down on your bad risk when you should have cut your losses? It's hard to admit that you've played the fool. It's hard to admit that you've been wrong. It's hard. It's easier to lash out at God. It's easier to lash out at the wise who have never strayed and followed the path that you followed. At the godly. Have you met someone that feels the need to punish you simply for being a Christian? Simply for having some principles? They can't leave you free to make your own decisions and follow your own path. They've got to punishing you for following the path of wisdom. Why is that? Well, it's because your way of life exposes foolishness and it afflicts people's consciences. It's because you're a constant reminder of the pain and suffering and death that they've chosen for themselves. Nothing would please them more than to drag you down to their level. It doesn't matter if you're in middle school and you don't watch the same movies as people at school or laugh at the same jokes. It doesn't matter if you're in high school and you say no to some parties. It just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're at work and you don't joke about cheating on your wife. They want you to lie and to join them in their conspiracy. Been there? Why is that? Why do people do that? They want you to join in their conspiracy. They want you to join them in their folly. They need to feel validated. They've made, they're made to feel insecure by you. Their conscience is afflicted. They can't bear to leave you alone. It's a problem. And that appeal to join the conspiracy is what we see at the very beginning of Proverbs chapter 1, right? We see that appeal constantly as we've gone through. There are basically two main uh, ways to fall off the path of wisdom, right? The appeal to join the conspiracy, to join with the wicked, to get easy money, to take what's not yours, and the appeal for easy sex. Those are the two main paths that Solomon over and over and over and over again through the first nine chapters of this book says, hey, you're on the path of wisdom, beware. People are going to come. They're going to try to pull you off. They're going to say, hey, be part of the crowd. Be part of us. We're going to go and we're going to be able to reap where we've not sown. Forget work. Come sit at the cool kids table. We're going to take what's not ours. We're going to join the conspiracy together. We're not going to get caught. We'll be all for one, one for all. We'll find a way to defy God's rule that whatever you sow, you will also reap. It's a lie. And over here, sex. Easy sex. Not marriage, not the covenant of marriage, not the hard work, but just the low bar. The low bar. No strings attached. There won't be consequences. It won't wreck your relationships. It won't wreck your future. It won't lead to death and destruction. You will not reap what you've sown. Those are the two things. Easy money and easy sex. Money for nothing, chicks for free. Dire straits. Nobody knows. It's okay. We got a couple. All right, there we go. <laughs> What'd you say? All right, there you go. <laughs> You're allowed to laugh. Why are they so potent? Money and sex. Why are they so dangerous? Because it, it's hard and it's fundamental to who we are. Fundamental to how God made us. Fundamental to how God disciplines us for sin. You may never have thought about it like this before, but once you've thought about it and seen it, it becomes really, really obvious. It's all in Genesis. It's all in Genesis. Genesis chapter one. You want to understand the world we live in? Let me flip past the table of contents to the first page of the Bible. Okay, Genesis chapter one. 
Verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. Fundamental. God made us in his own image. God said, make babies, have dominion over the earth, eat its fruit. It's going to yield its fruit for you. Fundamental. Adam and Eve rebel against God. The serpent comes to Eve, who goes to Adam. They rebel, and God disciplines Adam and Eve and the whole creation with a curse. Chapter 3, flip the page. Verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be against your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust. And to dust you shall return. God makes us for a purpose. We rebel. Adam and Eve are kings and queens. They hand the crown over to the serpent. God says, fine. Marriage is going to be filled with strife, warring against each other. Children, childbearing is going to be painful. And the work of having dominion and subduing the earth, it's going to feel futile. It's going to be hard. They're all still insanely rewarding and beautiful because it is what we're made for. But it's hard now. It's harder than it was going to be. This is God's discipline. The wise embrace God's discipline and are humble and learn and grow. And the fool rejects wisdom and rejects discipline. And so the path of folly starts with, that's hard. I don't want to work. Sweat, thorns, thistles. Uh, I just want it to come. I want the earth to just spring forth, forth fruit for me. I want it to be easy. I want the easy way out. Marriage is hard. We're sinners. We strive against one another. I don't want that. I want the easy thing. And I don't want the baggage of children because that's hard too. These are the places where God forces every single one of us to reckon with the reality of sin. It takes perseverance. It takes sweat. Wisdom embraces discipline, learns from it, and grows. Folly rejects discipline. And there's nothing more fundamental than God's discipline of all of us from the fall on, from the fall forward. Nothing more elemental or foundational. So talking to the son, set out on the path of wisdom, get married, embrace the difficulty, keep your vows, face the problems, enter into covenant with another sinner until death. For better or worse, we'll help each other on the path of wisdom in life. We'll face down our sins and our failures, our own and each other's. We'll do it together with one commitment. I'm for you, you're for me until we die. We will learn to trust each other. We will learn what love really is, not romance, but love. Though the whole world embraces the easy path, 
free love, free sex, porn, adultery, no-fault divorce. We will believe God when he says, this is the path of life. Have kids and embrace the difficulty, though the whole world treats children like a curse, to be avoided or discarded at all costs until such a time as they're not. See that the curse is in us. It's hard. We're selfish. It's hard. It's hard to overcome our selfishness and to overcome the fears and overcome the pain and to embrace the sacrifices of bringing children into this world and raising them. The sacrifices of ease and lesser pleasures for the blessing, the joy and the privilege, as well as the pain and the heavy responsibility of bringing little boys and girls made in God's image into the world. Little boys and girls that need love and discipline and need to be set on the path of wisdom and righteousness, that need mothers and fathers. Work. Embrace the difficulty. Exercise some form of dominion over this earth. Bring order from the chaos of your little patch of ground. Thorns and thistles are a pain. Buy gloves. Buy gloves. Because the only alternative is to join the conspiracy. Become a thief which is to do violence to your fellow man. And it doesn't matter how you take what you haven't earned. You can break into somebody's house with a gun, or you can vote yourself all of Jeff Bezos' money and put the gun in the hands of the IRS, and it's still you taking what you haven't earned. In the end, it all leads to death and destruction. And you're the one setting the trap for yourself. Because God's rule is still God's rule. You will reap what you sow. So work, learn to love work, learn to embrace the challenge, learn to love the failures even so you can grow and reap the harvest of an honest day's work. Food, money, bread you've earned with your own blood, sweat, and tears. Hard but sweet. Solomon's been saying over and over and over again to start there, to stick to the basics. Don't be lured by easy money. Don't be lured by sex, easy sex. Don't be taken off the path by the easy things. Do hard things. Believe and trust God that it's worth it to put in the work and to embrace the discipline. Easy money is not good money. Easy sex isn't good sex. Good sex is married sex. It's the fruit of real love and intimacy and real work. It leads to more fruitfulness and to something to work and sacrifice for, a reason to live, a reason to die that's bigger than you. So Solomon has said over and over and over, run away from every temptation to take the easy way out. Embrace God's discipline. Be humble. You'll learn and you'll grow wise. Why? Because God is God and you're not. We're not. We're just like Adam and Eve. We need the same discipline that God gave us at the fall. And like good children, if we admit our sin and weakness, if we accept our Father's discipline, we will reap the reward of life and joy and every good thing. But if we reject the path of wisdom, that's when things get scary. Because the more you move from simple and naive and gullible Away from the path of wisdom, the more you move into mocking and scoffing. And the more you become a mocker and a scoffer, the more God gives you over to your foolishness. The more you get what you want. Which, as Lady Wisdom said, is inevitably death and destruction. All who hate me, she says, love death. And then you become the one who's calling to the man or the woman on the path of wisdom to come join your conspiracy against God. And then God warns his people not to waste time on you. God warns us not to waste time on the scoffer and the mocker. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. He who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he'll hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. That's not just an Old Testament thing either. Jesus, in his very first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, we finished it up when, when, May, something like that? Towards the end, do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Same thing. 
Same warning. Scary. Does that mean that scoffers are beyond God's grace, God's love, God's power to save? No. No. Just as the wise man can abandon the fight, the scoffer can be humbled. But he must be humbled. He must be humbled. And that usually takes some really hard knocks. Death, suffering, jail, real problems that you don't want to get to in your life. It's not what you want. It's a miracle when it happens. And it does happen. But that's the truth with all of us. It's a miracle for us to be on the path of life. It's a miracle for us to stay on the path of life. So don't give up hope for the scoffers in your life. Pray for them, but be wise and careful about giving them your pearls of wisdom. And be warned so that you don't become like them. Don't be wise in your own eyes. That's what Jesus did. Jesus found 12 simple men who feared God. And he built into those 12 simple men. And he didn't waste his time with the sophisticated mockers and scoffers. I'm going to guess that's a child somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he avoided the sophisticated mockers and the scoffers. He went among the simple people. He went out and about, calling them to himself until it was time to die. Then he went to the mockers and the scoffers. Okay. It's a long diversion with that section. But that section was meant to bring us back to the very beginning of chapter one. That's why it goes back to the very first thing, the very foundation of wisdom that we give in chapter one itself. Right? The first verses of Proverbs. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord, chapter 9, is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And so it concludes, if you're wise, you're wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. Meaning at the end of the day, it's on you. You are responsible for you. And there's nobody left to blame you will answer to God. Okay, verse 13, finish this out, we'll wrap it up. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Okay, so we come to Lady Folly. She's seductive. She's loud. She's stupid. She knows nothing. Loud, seductive, and stupid. She doesn't have a palace. She doesn't have a feast. She doesn't even need them. She can just appeal to your basest desires. She sits at the door of her house. She calls to those who are going straight on their way. And what does she offer? Not a feast. No mixed wine. She doesn't bother. Stolen water and bread eaten in secret. She is set up for us as a prostitute, and she's offering easy money and easy sex. She's McDonald's to Lady Wisdom's five-star restaurant. She's a witch, straight out of every fairy tale and fable you've ever heard. Hansel and Gretel go into the woods. They see the gingerbread house with the candy and all the things, and they go inside only to find they're they're the meal to be devoured. It's every story of bewitched food that looks and tastes good, and you have no idea that you're eating stale, rotten, moldy bread filled with worms because you're bewitched. It's poison. It's the poison apple. You go into her house. Wisdom's offered you this feast, this banquet. She's offering you something that only, the only appeal she has is the allure of the forbidden. It's intriguing. It's different. It's other. It's the stench of death is what that is. That's what it is. 
You've been invited to eat forbidden things, but you're the meal. You're the meal. The dead are there. Her guests are in the depths of Sheol. It's a horror scene. Same picture of two feasts is used in Revelation 19. Jesus triumphs over Babylon. The righteous are invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. And the birds of the air are invited to the great supper of God, which is outside of the marriage feast of the Lamb, the bodies of God's enemies being devoured by the birds of the air. Two feasts. You think you're going to one, but you end up being the feast. You end up being consumed by death and hell. So here it is, the end of Proverbs. Two ways to live. The path of least resistance, the path of ease, easy money, easy sex, and with them death and hell, or the path of wisdom and life. God's wisdom, Jesus You come, you admit you need help, you give yourself to the wisdom of God's word, you embrace the fact that it's going to be hard. It involves embracing difficulty, pain, sacrifice, hard things. But you trust that it will be good and it will lead to life. You come to wisdom and feast on her riches. You drink her wine. You let God's word become sweet to you. And as it becomes sweet to you, it becomes wisdom and life. You keep reading. You hide it in your heart. You walk in the way of wisdom, and you grow in wisdom for the rest of your days. And then you finish Proverbs on your own, like we're all going to do, right? Right? Yes, we're all going to do it, because we're committed to getting wisdom. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for bringing us here this morning, and we thank you for your wisdom and for your call to be wise and to turn from evil. Pray that you would give us faith to do that this morning and that you would encourage our hearts. Pray that you would help us to see the feast of wisdom that you've prepared for us in your son and in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.